start off this new sermon series called Fix Your Eyes. Now, some of you may be wondering, um, why Hebrews? Well, I could answer by saying, why not Hebrews? But I want to add a little bit more to all of this. I'm going to invite Cassandra up the front because um, not only is she going to do the Bible reading, she's going to give us a little bit of an insight as to um, maybe one of the reasons why we're doing this particular series. So um, welcome, Cassandra. You can show your appreciation to Cassandra. She's a lovely lady and she's got a great dad. Let me tell you that. You may know Cassandra is currently uh, doing a a degree in theology at Morling College and you were doing a particular unit that required you to put together a sermon series. Is that correct? Yes, I was uh, studying um, a unit in New Testament and um, the project that I had to do, I had to construct a 10-week sermon series on one of the epistles. Why... So, obviously, you, you picked Hebrews. Yes. Yeah, so... <laughs> well, why did you pick Hebrews? Well, originally, um, they gave us a couple of options. Well, not options, but they kind of were trying to guide you in uh, different options that you could pick from. And originally, they said Galatians or First Corinthians would be some good ones. And then they mentioned Hebrews would be a more challenging one, but that it's one that they'd like to see be done. So I spoke to both John and Steve and um, asked them what their thoughts were on it and both of them said that Hebrews would be a difficult one and that maybe I, I possibly, seeing as it's an essay, maybe focus on one of the other easier or more simpler ones that they originally um, said. But then I had to read the book for the unit and I, uh, I fell in love with it. So I went back to both John and Steve and said, I've decided I'm going to do the more challenging one because I think it's, um, it's a fantastic book and it um, absolutely spoke to me and I just wanted to explore it even further and do my essay on it. Okay. And so here we are now. Um, if, this, if this sermon series goes pear-shaped, we can blame Cassandra, can't we? Or, um, no, we won't. No, um, and so as part of the conversations that we continued um, with Steve and Cassandra and myself, uh, we, we felt that this would become an appropriate time for us to, to start this, he, this Hebrew series. Can you tell me briefly, what is it about the Hebrews that, that made the impact? So it, it's challenging because it's, a, it's letters written to Jewish Christians and that was more the challenge that they said would be to pitch this to people that are, are non-Jewish. Um, but when I read it, I felt that even though I, I'm not Jewish, I felt it completely spoke to me and I felt like it was written for me because it's written for people who are going through a really, really tough time and they feel that either they flee and run away or they give up the gospel and give in to the, what's around them. And, well, I think that that speaks to everybody who feels like they're going through a really, really tough time and it doesn't matter what culture you are or your age or what you've been through, I think that everybody at some point in their life feels that way and what I loved most about the letters is that it started out by telling us how amazing and incredible and powerful and superior that Jesus is to then go on to say that is why you shouldn't be afraid or why you shouldn't feel like you have to run away. And it just affected me. So that's why I ended up doing it. Great. Well, 
how about you um, start the whole series off by doing the first reading for us, which actually is chapter one. So if you've got Bibles with you, Hebrews chapter one, we're going to read the first chapter and Cassandra's going to lead us in that and then I'll follow on after that. God's final word, his son. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited as superior to theirs." For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, He makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, as scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with all the oil of joy. He also says, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment they will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Thank you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us this this wonderful thing that we can read. But not only that, that through your spirit that you lead us and transform us. And so as, as we start in this series, as we read, as we reflect, as we respond, we pray, Lord God, by your spirit, that you would transform us into the people you've called us to be. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, I'm hoping also that you got a uh, a study guide when you you came in. If you didn't get one, you can get one later on. Now, these are particularly for our growth groups. A number of our growth groups will be following along our sermon series over the next 10 weeks uh, and using these as a small group discussion guide. If you're not in a a growth group and you'd like to be, see Rhonda. You've already heard from Rhonda. If for whatever reason you can't, you can still take these home Ideally, it's best if you do it in a group or with others because I think there's nothing better than digesting God's word with other people. Iron sharpens iron, does it not? But look, either way, whatever you can, uh, let's continue as a church together to digest this wonderful letter as we seek to grow um, in Him. 
Some of you may have been aware that there was an announcement this week that Lismore Square, after being ravaged by flood and working to get back on deck again, is opening on the 6th of July. Now, that, that is good news, is it not? I mean, for many people who live in Lismore and have had to shop in Ballina or go somewhere else or whatever, the thought that we can have one of our shopping centres back in operation again after a hundred and something days brings us a great sense of joy. Now, I find it interesting that they've actually set a date. They said, and even though that's, you know, six weeks away or whatever it is, they've set a date and it's almost like they've drawn a line and said, this is when we're going to seek to get back to some sort of normality. Keep in mind that date. Now, I'm sure they want to communicate that to the, to the general public to give us a sense of confidence, true, when we hear that, you know, it's back on again, gives us a sense of confidence. It also is, is an indicator for the workers there to sort of say, this is what we're aiming for. We're aiming for July the 6th. So to a certain extent, they're saying, fix your eyes on this date. This is, this is an important date. So for the public, get ready. You'll be able to have some great shopping experience again on the 6th of July. And I'm sure for the workers, they're going, make sure you get it done by the 6th of July, won't you? Now, that was a, a, a pretty poor reflection of when we're talking about fixing our eyes because this whole sermon series is talking about fixing our eyes. Fixing our eyes on one who can give us hope one who is the one who was sent and foretold about in the Old Testament. Actually, the, 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 the term fix your eyes, we will be coming up to in a tangible way in a few weeks' time because it's in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, where the writer says to fix your eyes. Not on the July the 6th, by the way, it's on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so we've decided to, to title this, um, this sermon series, Fix Your Eyes. As has already kind of been mentioned, um, this letter of, um, uh, of, of Hebrews is a New Testament book. You're obviously finding it in your New Testament. We don't particularly know who the author is, mainly because the, the, the author doesn't introduce themselves. In Paul's letters and in Peter's letters and others, they will say, I am Paul, the apostle, or Peter, or whatever. So they don't self-identify. It could have been Paul, could have been Barnabas, could have even been Apollos. But what we do know, what we do know is that the writer of this letter, of this book, had a first-hand understanding of the disciples at that time, had interaction with. Also, the writer knew the audience and as we've already mentioned, that Hebrews was written, as it's called Hebrews, written for the Jewish people. He assumed, that the writer assumed the readers knew the Old Testament, particularly the first five books, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, that uh, key part of that Old Testament. They're assuming the readers know the story of Moses and, and, and what Moses did, assume the readers knew about uh, the, the wanderings in the wilderness, about the tabernacle and the goings-on in there. The readers were, would have been Hebrew people. We also uh, read, and Cassandra mentioned this, that the readers were facing persecution. And we pick this up in chapter 10, that the, 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 the readers of this letter were facing intense um, opposition. And for many of them, 
Um, with the opposition for being new believers, they would have been discouraged and a number of them could have been walking away from the faith. And so the overarching message of this letter, the writer to the Hebrew people, is fix your eyes on Jesus. In the midst of all of the difficulties and despair and all of the troubles round about, keep your eyes on him. And so whether we're, we're Jews or, or not Jews, this message is relevant for us. We live in a world where there is trouble all around us, whether it's trouble overseas, whether it's trouble within our own city, or whether it's personal trouble that we experience from time to time, the writer is saying, keep your eyes on him. This book is all about hope. And I think it's apt that we've, we're doing it one week after our Breggy Church, where the theme of our Breggy Church was stories of hope. And we heard lots of stories of hope in the midst of all of the difficulties that we've experienced over the last three months or so. This book tells you why you can have hope in Jesus. And in this first chapter, and I've called this, this particular uh, sermon the superior Jesus. Actually, I, sh I shouldn't say I called it. Cassandra called it that, and I'm just borrowing her homework. The superior Jesus. Superior to anything else before, now, or after. Now, for, for the Jews who would have read it at that time, back in the first century, for these readers, they were given a word or the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. You would be aware of that. The writer is saying that was an okay word, but Jesus is a better word. Jesus is better than that. For the Jews, they were given the promised land, a land that after all of their wanderings, that they could go to and rest. But the writer of the Hebrews is saying Jesus is a better rest. You can rest in him. You don't need real estate. You can rest in the person of Jesus. For the Jews in the first century, they were given a priestly system, a system of priests. But the writer of the Hebrews is saying that Jesus is the ultimate priest. He's the one with the ultimate knowledge. For the Jews in the first century, they were given a sacrificial system that operated within the temple, you know, the, the sacrificial lamb, etc., etc. But the writer here says that Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. No more sacrifices required after Jesus. Overall, the theme of these Hebrews is that Jesus is superior. Therefore, fix your eyes on him. So today, as Cassandra's already read Hebrews 1, I want to go back and just reflect on the first four verses. We're going to spend most of our time just on these first four verses of Hebrews 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, now when we talk about last days, too often we think, you know, what's happened in the last 20 years. This is talking about the last days. This is between Jesus' um, ascension to his second coming. That's essentially the last days. That's what we're talking about here. He has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. 
and he had provided purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Look at this first verse. God spoke through prophets in, uh, in many times and in various ways. You could, you could virtually um, translate that passage in, in, uh, in various ways as in pieces, in bits and pieces. And I think for any of you who've um, been a Christian for a while and you've, you've read through the Old Testament, it can be quite confusing at times. We've got a bit of this and a bit of this and we've got a story in between and we read a bit about Jesus here and a bit about Jesus there. It almost seems like the Old Testament can be like a jigsaw puzzle. This piece, does it marry up with this piece? Where does it go? And we can sort of see that it appears like there's just bits and pieces of Jesus through the Old Testament. The Hebrew writer is saying that the Old Testament is completely true, but we need, we only read the pieces at various times in his various ways. We go to Isaiah and we read bits and pieces about Jesus in Isaiah. We read bits and pieces about Jesus in Joel and in Micah and in Ezekiel and a number of the other passages in the Old Testament. But in Jesus, the truth becomes complete. Isn't it one of those wonderful things? I don't know how many of you like doing jigsaw puzzles. It's always great when you've got the, the image on the box to be able to copy. But every now and then, you get these special jigsaw puzzles that don't have the photo or the picture on the box. And you've got to work it out yourself. And it can become incredibly confusing when you've got all these pieces and where do they all fit? And it's almost like when we come to the New Testament and in Jesus, all of the pieces come together and we see the complete image. And that image is Jesus, the complete picture. In verse 3, if we look at this in verse 3, we see that the writer says that Jesus is the exact representation of God. The exact representation. Other translations say the exact character of God. The same characteristics. Look at God. Look at Jesus, I mean, and you see God. The perfect reflection. Also in verse 3 we see the term radiance. So we see representation and we see radiance. And it's, it's like the writer is saying, Jesus is like the rays of the sun of which the sun is God. The rays and the sun. Now, can you separate the sun rays from God? It's, it's impossible. They are one and the same. He is the radiance of God, inseparable. The writer is declaring Jesus is God. Now, in the Old Testament, some of you would be aware that when Moses and the Israelites were wandering around in the wilderness, so they had escaped from Egypt and they're on their way to the promised land, there was this really strange thing called the fiery cloud. You've heard about the, the fiery cloud. We read about it in the Old Testament. 
when Moses was leading the Israelites, this fiery cloud led the people. When the Egyptian army were chasing the Israelites, the fiery cloud went in around behind and confused the Egyptian army by protecting the Israelites, this fiery cloud. This cloud surrounded Mount Sinai. Remember when Moses went up onto the mountain and received the Ten Commandments, this fiery cloud enveloped the top of Mount Sinai. When the cloud leads people to the promised land. This cloud also then shows up in the temple. When, the, when they were um, when the, in worship in the temple, there was the cloud. What? What is this fiery cloud we read about? The Bible makes it quite clear that this fiery cloud is the glory of God. The glory of God. God in a form that could be seen. And in the Old Testament, that was generally the form, either a, a, a fire or a wind or a cloud, but in this case, it was a fiery cloud. But no one could approach it. If anyone tried to, to touch it or enter into it, they died straight away. They could only be seen from a distance. Here in the book of Hebrews, the writer says that Jesus is the perfect expression of, of the glory of God. Here's a wonderful truth. The people couldn't approach the cloud in the Old Testament or they would die. But in the New Testament, in Jesus, the glory of God, people could approach Jesus. How good's that? We can approach the glory of God in perfect confidence in Jesus. He is one we can fix our eyes on. Now you'd also be aware that whenever, and it was in a couple of cases, particularly in Moses, that God's presence would come past and his presence was so perfect, so holy, that no one could place their eyes on the glory of God. You're aware of that? If you were to look on God, you would die straight away. And there are occasions where Moses would have to put this veil over his head whenever the presence of God passed by. Now, I'm not just talking about a little face mask or anything like that. You know all about face masks. We're talking about a full veil that goes right over the top of his, of his head and probably over his body as well. Such was the power of the presence of God. But it's changed. In the Old Testament, that would have been like looking straight into the sun. We get warnings about looking straight into the sun, don't we? Look straight into the sun and your eyes get damaged, probably permanently. But coming in now that Jesus, the, the perfect expression of the glory of God, we see something very differently. And I think Paul in 2 Corinthians sums this up very, very well. We read this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 16 through to 18. I think we'll have that up on the screen there, Kristen. Yeah. Now, Paul in this passage here is talking about what Jesus has done in comparison to the Old Testament. So you can read before if you like, but we'll pick it up in verse 16. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. We don't 
need the veil anymore. And we pick it up later on in verse 18. And we all who with what? Unveiled faces. Now that's significant. It's significant because we don't need a veil. Contemplate the Lord's glory. We can see the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That's, that's us, people. That's the blessing that we have, where we can sit in with unveiled faces, the presence of God with unveiled faces. We see Jesus, we see God. It's a blessing, I think, most of the time. We just completely take for granted, don't we, as New Testament Christians? The complete access that we have to God through Jesus. I think this is important on so many levels. Because one of the other things I think is, whenever we fix our eyes on something, we change. For some of you... You've fixed your eyes on your spouse. You know, think back in those early dating years, don't you? For some people, it's longer than others, but that's okay. Um, you fix your eyes on that person and everything else just gets blurry, doesn't it? Because you're, you change because you're now in the presence of this other person. For, for a child, locking eyes onto their parents, it, it changes them. When, when they're in the presence of this parent or someone who is just, just a, a wonderful example and you fix your eyes on that person and you change because they have an influence over you. Now, that's significant, whether it's a you know, girlfriend, boyfriend, your spouse or your, your parents or a significant other person. But what about when that is Jesus? When we fix our eyes on him. And this is significant as well because we've got to realise that the writer also here is saying that Jesus is more than just another one of these prophets. The ones who spoke in pieces in the Old Testament. Jesus is more than just an inspiring person. Have you ever noticed that when we go to the, um, the Old Testament and the prophets are making a declaration... They generally say this. If you want to go to the next slide, thanks, Kristen. In the Old Testament, they will say, Thus saith the Lord. Hmm? In, in, when the prophets, they're saying, The Lord is saying this, and I'm speaking on behalf of him. And yet, and yet, in the New Testament, when Jesus spoke, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, this is the word of the Lord, not spoken through a prophet. It is God himself speaking to the people. Jesus doesn't just speak the truth. He is the truth. And so, of course, in John 14, chapter 6, then it comes to sort of kind of a, a pinnacle when Jesus states this. He says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's making an absolute statement to say the only way to come to the Father is through him. Is through him. 
A famous author, N.T. Wright, um, wrote many, many publications. Put it this way, in regard to the comparison of the the images of Jesus in the Old Testament through to uh, the New Testament, he wrote this. How can you live with the terrifying thought that the hurricane, think hurricane in the Old Testament, the hurricane has become human. That fire, think fire in the Old Testament, that fire has become flesh. That life itself became life and walked in our midst. Christianity either means that or it means nothing. Don't bother to try to write it down. You've got it there in your study guide, page 3. It is either the most devastating disclosure of the deepest reality of the world or it's a sham, a nonsense, a bit of deceitful play acting. Most of us, unable to cope with saying either of those things, condemn ourselves to live in the shallow world in between. In other words, there are people who completely reject the reality of Jesus Christ. There are others who completely surrender over to Jesus Christ because of who he says he is. But there is this group in between who kind of think that Jesus is okay but I'll just try to sit on the fence. Neither reject him or surrender to him. The writer says, pay close attention. And so often it happens when we experience the challenges. And this is over the next few weeks as we look at Hebrews. We see that the readers of these were were experiencing enormous opposition to their faith. And for some, so difficult that they just wanted to run away. And the book is saying, don't be discouraged. Jesus is superior to everything else. Don't just pay lip service to the words, the ways and the works of Jesus. It's more than just rocking up and uh, just paying basic service. Jesus is superior to everything else. And if that becomes our truth, we can't live by sitting on the fence, can we? Sometimes it's called to be cold or hot, but too often we just go for the lukewarm. The writer of Hebrews is saying it's all or nothing. Now, from verse 5 onwards, it's this fascinating little piece of writing where the writer of the Hebrews is linking Old Testament prophecies, particularly in Psalms, reinforcing that Jesus is far better than the Old Testament system. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. I've actually produced a little exercise at the back of your study guide where you can reflect on all of this. But the writer makes more than six direct quotes from the Old Testament contrasting Jesus to other created beings and particularly angels. And we talk here about the angels. They are a wonderful creation of God. They are revered, but they're not to be worshipped. They are important, but they are not equal to Jesus. And so starting at verse 5 in Hebrews 1, the writer makes a direct quote to Psalm 2 verse 7. Psalm 2 verse 7 says this, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. About Jesus. Also, in verse 5, there's, a, there's a, a quote from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14. I will be his father and he will be my son. 
Later on in verse 7, declaring Jesus superior to God's messengers, particularly those uh, angels, he references Psalm 104, verse 4, where Psalm 104, verse 4 says, He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants regarding angels. We also read about Jesus in Psalm 45, and the writer makes reference to this in verses 8 and 9 of Hebrews 1. Psalm 45, 6 and 7 says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Then immediately after that, in verse 10, 11 and 12, he references Psalm 102. Can you see what the writer is doing here? He is saying all of this that you learned about in the Old Testament, it is coming to its completion, to its fruition here in Jesus. Psalm 102. In the beginning you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them and they will be discarded, but you remain the same and your years will never end. And in verse 13, we read that God, is, uh, the writer is suggesting that God didn't say this with regard to angels, but he only said it to Jesus. And this is in Psalm 110, verse 1. He's saying this, he didn't say to angels, but he did say about Jesus, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet, as a question. Did I say that to angels? No. It only refers to Jesus. Hebrews says to fix your eyes on this person. I've learnt that if, if the distance from the sun to the earth, some 90 million miles can you get your head around 90 million miles just imagine 90 million miles was the thickness of this piece of paper for a moment okay you got your head around that if that's the case then the distance from the earth to the nearest star just the nearest star would be the thickness of 25 meters so about the length of this building is the distance from us to the next star. We live in the Milky Way, a galaxy. And to use the same reference of the thickness of a piece of paper between us and the sun, the distance across the Milky Way is 200 kilometres from here to Brisbane using the thickness of a piece of paper. That is the distance across the Milky Way. And our galaxy, and we don't even really have a number for how many galaxies, because every time they look further, they find another galaxy, and another galaxy, and another galaxy, and there are billions and billions of galaxies, just like our Milky Way galaxy. Have you spun out already? This is so huge we cannot even 
understand this. And yet, what does the writer say about Jesus? Through him also, he made the universe. Our Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, holds all of this in his hands. And as magnificent as that is, and as amazing and as powerful he is, he says, I want you. I want you to be with me. And I died on a cross for, for you if you were the only person on the face of this earth. I, I died for you. That's, that's how special you are in the eyes of Jesus. The one who holds billions and billions of galaxies in his hands. And he calls us to say, with all these things that happen around about you, keep your eyes on him. And with that in mind, I think even though the troubles may still be troubles, even though the difficulties may still be difficulties, and even though we wake up each day and there will be other issues that we'll need to work for, it, it, it seems to pale into a bit of insignificance when we realise the person to whom we belong. Would you not agree? So with that in mind, I want us to just pause for a moment we're going to join together and, and share in communion, which is an opportunity for us to reflect on what Jesus did. The person of Jesus who died on a cross so that we can have a relationship with him. So we've got the confidence to fix our eyes on him and he will lead us because of what he's done for us on the cross. The shedding of his blood and the breaking of his body for the remission of sin. That's why we can approach the throne of God in confidence in Jesus. So I just want to, want to pray for us now and just say, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We, we thank you for the, the truth of your word. And in particular, as we reflected on Hebrews chapter 1, I pray, Heavenly Father, that you will just reinforce within us by your spirit how wonderful, how powerful, how superior Jesus is to everything else. We thank you for all that you've done for us, for dying on the cross, for you sitting at the right hand of the Father, you, you, you call us into your family, into, into your kingdom. And as we surrender to our own agenda, we just ask, Heavenly Father, lead us, take us. We are your people. And as we eat a piece of biscuit representing the body of Christ and as we drink from a cup representing the blood of Christ we reflect again on you Lord Jesus and in this we say help us 
to keep our eyes fixed on you. As we go from here and navigate life, may we see all of these troubles, all of these difficulties, all of these challenges through the lens of the glory of Jesus Christ. And we have access to that through the the blood and body of Jesus Christ who conquered sin on the cross.